two years ago at Christmas time when we were doing the Operation Christmas Child and we had about a thousand boxes, you know, we were looking at, boy, how do we personalize this for people in our congregation? And we realized we didn't have to look far because we have a partner in Uganda that has almost 600 orphans plus, I mean, hundreds of other kids that are in need. And we thought uh, between the people doing Operation Christmas Child and Kate Smead and myself, hey, what if we sent the boxes to Uganda? What if we sent them to somebody we know? So we finally got everything planned, everything all set to go. It was announced at the first Thursday night service. The crowd came rushing out and just were scooping up bags like crazy to go home and pack. And then we actually ended up running out of bags before the 11 o'clock service of that weekend, which was just overwhelming and absolutely incredible to see the excitement within our church. And it just caused us to realize, you know, we got something that people are really excited about. And so we went back and bought 200 more bags. So we had some for the following weekend. Making the bags happen. I'm totally blaming Steve for this. <laughs> oh, the, pro the process was so simple. Um, it, it, honestly, it was a beast. We needed to get all the bags back and ready to ship by the first week of December. So that way they would arrive in plenty of time for the Christmas party, uh, in theory. And uh, the church came back with great, great numbers. And they, uh, everyone between Otis and Barker campus, we got back 1,040 backpacks to send to Uganda. Once we were in the process, we realized there was hoop after hoop that we weren't aware of, our shipper wasn't aware of that we had to find ways to overcome. And so we just asked people to pray and God made a way. The bags showed up on New Year's Eve. Steve got a text uh, from Ronald, the pastor over there, um, exclaiming for joy that the trucks were there. And uh, the following Sunday, they were able to give out the bags uh, to a thousand grateful children. Hello, Valley. Uh, this is, uh, these are some of the children here that uh, uh, we have given uh, uh, the gifts and uh, we are so thankful to you. But we just want to say thank you so much and we pray that the Lord blesses you. Thank you once again for the wonderful gifts. Our children have been greatly blessed, greatly blessed. We are so proud of you and we pray that the Lord blesses you. the generosity of this church it never ceases to amaze me whenever there's a need that's called out you guys respond you know to that need and that's just one example if you haven't seen there are pictures you know all over you know the walls you know that are over there uh it, many of which have your faces if you did one of those bags and so um see if you can kind of where's waldo it you know see which kid is opening your bag and take it home and put it on your fridge pray for that child you know as you got an opportunity to meet a need uh, today, we are uh, continuing on with Ruta. Before we do, uh, I want to remind you that next week is our DNA class. So if you are or thought about or have said, you know, this is my home church, but you've not yet gone to this experience together, I want to strongly encourage you to sign up and then show up. So you can do that right around the corner, but we'd love to have you there. It's next week, you know, and the time goes by really fast. And if you're wondering what my next step and my, even my walk with Jesus is next week, that'd be great for you to be a part of. Now, as I mentioned, you know, uh, rooted is to deepen or start our relationship with Jesus 
and to find our purpose for the world. So the first four weeks of Rooted that we've gone through centered on who is God and our relationship with him. These next five weeks, starting this last week, is what is my purpose for the world? And so today is part two of my purpose you know, for the world. Last week we talked about all of us like being served. And Jesus is actually the greatest servant who served us, so it's okay to like being served, so that we would then serve others. So another way to say this is we are blessed to be a blessing. And so that's what we kind of talked about, you know, last week. Today is going to be uh, quite a bit deeper, you know, discussion. And uh, as we get into the topic, I wonder if you're like me and you've ever thought about when you have a need, how do you meet that need? I'm not saying a want, a need. It dawned on me this week, you know, if I'm hungry, I find something to eat. If I'm thirsty, I turn on the water, you know, or even have a bottled water, you know, uh, even here, you know, on, on stage, you know, if... Uh, uh, I am uh, sick, you know, I go to the doctor. <laughs> well, let's be real. I'm a guy. I may wait a little longer, you know, uh, before actually going to the doctor, you know, uh, but at least I think about going to the doctor. If uh, my kids need uh, clothes, I, I get, get them clothes, you know, in different seasons. If uh, they need education, I get to send them to get education. I don't think about, and most of us in this room don't think about practically how to meet our needs. Wants, sure, we have a lot of discussion, you know, uh, on that, which we'll actually talk about a lot more uh, this next week. But here's the question I want you to process. When is the first time that you came across someone who was poverty stricken, someone who was going, going through something? How did you know that they were in poverty? And what did you think they needed from you? When was the last time? Maybe the first time. Now, I can remember uh, the first time I... Uh, vividly remember somebody in extreme poverty is in, in uh, I think it was ninth grade, eighth grade. Uh, our church in Seattle took a mission trip to Mexico and we went to Tijuana, Mexico and we built homes for the poor. And uh, I've never seen, you, you can see pictures of poverty, but you don't know poverty until you actually smell, see, touch, and experience poverty. And I've never seen that before as an eighth grade, you know, child. And, and being there, you know, and a little kind of a dark humor there, kind of dark, dark humor started thinking in my mind. I'm like, how poor do you have to be to have high school and junior high students build a house for you who have zero manual labor skills? I'm sorry, that was just a little funny to me, you know. Uh, but uh, I, re I remember just being so moved, you know, by really walking into what they were living in, cardboard, you know, shacks and, you know, barely things are up. And we were going to build them something that was going to last you know, for far many more years than what they're currently living in. I, I remember later on, you know, going to uh, Romania. And in Romania, I got to, to hang out in an orphanage. And I've seen a lot of uh, kids in, in orphan situations. I've never seen them in such poverty, physical poverty, than in Romania. I've been to Africa, been to other places, but not in this section of Romania. If you study the history of Romania, you may understand why. I remember being in Africa, in Zimbabwe specifically, flew into Harare, drove about five hours south to the middle of the bush to a place called Chittimoyo Christian Hospital. And it was during the AIDS pandemic that was taking place. And I'll never forget the sight, the sounds that I heard uh, when I was watching little kids actually pass away and for no other reason than they had AIDS. And, and just heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. Now, I've been to uh, Uganda you know, uh, and got to see the, the different plights that they've gone through, the different uh, people have gone, you know, through their poor experiences. I worked in East LA for five years. So in our own country, I've seen those, you know, gone through poor and homeless situation. I've seen uh, UGM in Seattle and UGM here in Spokane. Our, our community group, you know, one year uh, decided 
to during the Christmas season that was really, really cold, bitter cold, we, we grabbed the gloves and, and um, uh, we bought sleeping bags. And we just went downtown and we just quickly just found people and tried to meet a need that was there. Uh, the reason I say all this is not to say, hey, look at Dan, look at the different things that he's seen. I just want you to know that personally, I am intimately aware of physical poverty in the world. I have seen it, I have lived around it, and I've tried to minister to those who are in it. Because that's the topic, the heavy topic that we're going to talk about today. How do we help those who are in poverty? How do we help? Now, one of the things I want to encourage you with is, will you join me in prayer? Because about 17 days from now, uh, we get to have, I'm going to call it our first discipleship summit. Well, a few of us are flying to the Philippines, and uh, we will be meeting up with our Chinese pastors, our Ugandan pastors, you know, will be flying in, the Philippine pastors are there, and then us. And so we get a chance to encourage one another and to find out ways we can learn from each other and help meet each other's needs. And so we're going to look at this idea of poverty today, but I just wanted to make sure you are aware of that as we kind of went into today. But the reason that this is important for us to talk about when it comes to being rooted is because Jesus made this a big deal. He brought this up. At the end of time, when all this is gone, he gathers all people from all across the world and he separates them like a shepherd would separate sheep from goats. And he says to those on his right, those who are sheep, he says, come into the kingdom of God since it's been prepared for you since the beginning of time. And the reason you get to come is because when I was thirsty, you gave me something to eat, to drink. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was sick, you know, you took care of me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And they will look at him and say, wait a minute, when did we see you naked or in prison or sick or all of those things? And then he will say to them, whenever you've done to the least of these, you've done it unto me. See, there's certain sections of scripture that just kind of hit me and haunt me a little bit. And uh, this would be one of those. And yet, I'm excited to be a part of a church that tries to meet people's real needs. Because what Jesus is saying is that when we are made aware of what people are suffering or what they're going through, here's the thing. See a need, meet a need. If you get nothing else out of today, that we would see a need and then we would meet a need. Now, there are three forms, you know, of poverty, you know, in this world. There are three forms. And the first one that always comes to our mind, you know, is uh, physical poverty. Uh, that's the, the one that's natural. Whenever I say the word poverty, that's usually the one that we think of. And so our responsibility, physical poverty, is one need at a time. One need. Now, to be physically poor is to go without the basic needs. Food, water, shelter, you know, medicine, education, some of those kinds of things. And so when we see a need, are we meeting need? Here's what you need to know. God loves those who are physically poor. You see it all the way through Scripture. And in fact, in the New Testament, it says, Blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, in other sections, it actually expounds on that, which we'll get to in just a second. Jesus personally knows what it's like to be poor, right? He was born to those who are in poverty. Uh, he had nowhere to lay his head, no money for which to pay taxes, no home to call his own, and was buried in a borrowed grave. That was Jesus' life. So he knows specifically. Now, the goal is to provide relief in suffering in the name of Jesus, not to make people middle class. Sometimes you're looking like, well, you need to be where I am at. That's not what we're called to do, which I'll get to that in just a second as well. But this is what James says in chapter 2. 
What good is it, my dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith and don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, hey, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? See, uh, I had a guy come to me last service, and Thursday is the question. is like, well, wait a minute. If I help somebody who's in the, those kind of issues or needs, especially in our community, it's because they have an addiction, and so I can't really help them because they're just going to use whatever I give them to support their habit. I don't want to enable. I actually really want to help people. And he told me about a story this last week where he tried to really come alongside a guy. And the guy said he really wanted to help, and he tried to help meet that need, and the guy chose not to follow his advice, so he's very discouraged. Understand this, our role is to do our part. How many of you guys are married? Raise your hands. Now, how many of you guys could admit you can't control what your spouse does? All right, just want to make sure. You know, look around, look at, look at, like, we can't control other people. Any of our own house, let alone anybody else. It's not your job to play their part. Your part is just to see the need, meet the need in the best way that God has led and wired you, which again, we'll get to even more in just a second. Uh, the other warning I want to give us is sometimes when we see a need, we meet a need, we uh, somehow think because we have more as Americans, and this is kind of out there, that somehow people are less than as people when they have less because of the trials, circumstances, situations they've done to themselves or other people have done to them. And so we go with an aura of, aren't you sure glad that I, as your Savior, am coming to help you, when in fact we should come with absolute humility, knowing that they might teach us more about life than we think we're bringing to the table. So just as a little bit of a warning there. Now, what paralyzes most people, because I know it paralyzes me as well, is the need is so great. Have you ever thought about you know, all the physical impoverished things in our country and around the world, and you're like, Oh my gosh, it's so great. When it's so great, it becomes paralyzing. And when it becomes paralyzing, then most of us just kind of go through the rest of our day and we do nothing. But isn't it Mother Teresa who reminded us it's not about meeting everyone's need. It's about focusing on one. In fact, a pastor you know, that I know said it this way. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. See a need, meet a need, one opportunity at a time. Now, we need to do this at Valley Real Life in two ways. One, as a church, how are we doing this as an organization, organizing, trying to get us collectively on the same page? But then secondly, as individuals. And so first, let me just tell you, as a church, how we're trying to meet those needs of those who are physically suffering in the name of Jesus. So one of the things that we did just a few weeks ago was a food drive. So you might remember, you know, thousands of items of food for those who are go without potentially meals in the weekend at Trentwood, you know, and Otis Elementary. And we might even have a few pictures, you know, of those bags that are being delivered to those folks. You know, every week we offer benevolence, you know, here at the church for those, you know, who are suffering financially. And we kind of come alongside and meet some of those needs. This next week, starting, I believe it's starting tomorrow, uh, we'll actually open up our first benevolence, you know, opportunity at Otis. And in a few weeks, maybe a couple months, we're going to open up a food pantry, you know, at Otis, because it sure is a lot easier to get to, you know, if you're in that kind of need at Otis than it actually is here at Barker. That's why we did the Uganda bags. Kids who didn't have anything for Christmas, you guys came alongside and came alongside really, really well to help meet that need. It's why we always take an offering at Christmas Eve, and 100% goes outside these walls, either locally or internationally, hundreds of thousands of dollars now 
Christmas Eve, you know, that we've done, the last three of them, have gone outside these walls to meet many physical needs in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, there have been many physical needs in Uganda. You see the pictures that are out there, you know, uh, you know on, uh, as you go in, you see Uganda that's up there. Uh, it's become kind of a, a highlight and treasure of, if you start looking back at nets and mattresses that this church has provided and, and uh, land, several thousand dollars to buy land for widows so that they could actually then, you know, harvest for themselves, make a living for them as well as the orphans in which they're taking care of. You were part of seeing that need and meeting that need. Now, one other thing that you may not see uh, so often, sold-out cafe. So our sold-out cafe is, you know, in those right corners, you go out, you know, to the right. Many of you know it because all of us are addicted to coffee. So we go out there, you know, and uh, we get our cup of coffee, the free, or we buy one. Here's what you may not know. We don't make any money off a sold-out cafe. Uh, we pay for the minimum expenses and the part-time person who is organizing all of that for us, and every cent above, every cent that is in profit goes to a specific highlight, or as we would say, a highlight of the week or a highlight of the month. So when you go over and you're actually buying a cup of coffee or you're donating money when you get your free coffee, it is going specifically, tangibly, outside these walls to some specific need. If you didn't know, this month's spotlight is a child's hope in Spokane, creating affordable adoption for local families. So you're not just buying a cup of coffee. To feed your addiction, you're actually helping others. And mine as well. Praise the Lord, you know? <laughs> You're welcome. That's just one way. We're organizing this. As a church, we have a responsibility, but you also have a responsibility, you know, individually, which I'll get to in just a moment. We support financially locally with UGM, Cup of Cool Water, Blessings Under the Bridge, Naomi Community, and others. You can get a list of all those at our sold-out cafe if you want to be involved in that. Uh, internationally, we've got trips going to Uganda to help with medical and other opportunities to, re to, to help with the regular basic needs that they have. In our kids' ministry, did you know they take an offering every week? And the offering goes to kids in which they're sponsoring. They're sponsor kids are sponsoring kids through our church. And so they get to see as these kids kind of grow up and they got to be part of helping meet some of those basic needs that this child has. Your kids go through that every single week. Uh, for our youth ministry, did you know they go to a camp called CIY and they're challenged Imagine this, teenagers are challenged to go without a meal, intentionally, so that they can use the money that they would have spent on that meal for some specific project that may help others who are in need. These are just some of the ways, as a church, we are doing collectively. Now, individually, here's the challenge. See a need, meet a need. So personally, do you know someone who's in distress, who might need you to set up meal plan for them? and get others involved. Uh, maybe you will personally go sponsor a compassion child or find uh, some heart thing that will gravitate towards you. Do you know someone who's lost his or her job? Uh, could it be that you'll be the one to go buy groceries and just leave it anonymously on their doorstep? You see the need. You get a chance to meet the need. Is there someone elderly you know, uh, who lives in your street who can't do the snow plowing or the lawn mowing or some of the other things that we can fix, see the need, meet the need. Uh, maybe there's a family or child's school whose car broke down and you can actually just provide them rides. If you are a teenager, you know, here today, you're in middle school and high school, do you recognize that there are students that live and go to your school who may not have the proper clothing and attire and you could be that person just to drop something off in their locker without them knowing, you know, with gloves or other things? during the season or beyond. <coughs> see, 
simple acts of kindness, God gives us an opportunity to do in the name of Jesus. When we see the need, Jesus said, do we meet the need? Now, I want to tell you this, and I want you to wrestle with this, and I want to see if you agree with this statement. America is quickly becoming one of the poorest countries in the world. America is quickly becoming one of the poorest countries of the world. I want you to think, do you agree with that statement? I think you might as we continue. While you process that statement, let me tell you another story. Uh, Jesus says a man was traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem. On his way, he was attacked, he was beaten up, and he was left for dead. And so he thought his, his time was done, and yet, to his excitement potentially, a priest comes by, and he sees this Jewish man who's left for dead, and the priest sees him, Jesus says, and he goes to the other side of the street, and he passes him by. Now, how would a pastor, how would a priest, why would they do that? One of the reasons is if they pastor or priest were touching someone you know, in that circumstance, especially if they actually passed away, he would not be able to perform his duties you know, that he was called by God to do. And so he passed by because he didn't want to forsake the needs of other people. Then a Levite came, someone who also worked at the temple and saw a fellow Jew and he passes by on the other side. But then Jesus says a Samaritan came. Now, the reason this is important is a Samaritan would be a half-Jew, a half-breed, partial Jewish, and partially something else. Now, the Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other, okay? They hated each other. One of the reasons they hated each other is because Jewish people were told by God, don't intermarry, because if you intermarry, you might follow their God. So make sure you follow the one true God and you stay married within your own you know, race, the Jewish people. And, and so they through choice or through force over time, while the Jewish people suffered persecution and ostracization and loss of home, trying to follow God's commands, others gave in or were forced to give in and then had kids who were part, halves, quarter, Jewish and otherwise. So as there was this tension that took place over time. Be like, wait a minute, my family didn't sell out, yours did. So you can see this divide. Now you don't know any country that has any racial divide, do you? So there's these situations that's taking place. And the Samaritan sees the Jewish man. So he knows that it's a Jewish man. He goes over, bandages himself up, puts him on his own donkey, takes him to an inn, takes money out of his own pocket, doesn't ask the church or synagogue to do it, out of his own pocket, and he takes care of this man and tells the innkeeper, hey, if he needs more, I'll come back and I'll pay for him. He didn't have a relationship with the man. He just saw his physical need and he met the need. So here's my question for you. What was Jesus' main point? Was his main point, see a physical need and meet the physical need? I would say no. Here's how I know, because the story doesn't start with a man goes from Jericho to Jerusalem. The story actually starts a few verses up earlier. In Luke chapter 10, it says, One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. So the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked, and who is my neighbor? And so Jesus says a Jewish man was traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem. See, his point was not the poverty physically that this Jewish man was going through, but it was the relational poverty that was taking place in their culture where a man needed to justify his actions and how he treats other people. And Jesus says, that is the whole point that you missed. 
let me tell you a story that I hope will get across to your heart to love God and to love other people one, one person at a time. See, what many of us don't know is poverty. The word poverty in the Bible is actually the absence of shalom. Shalom literally means peace. In a book called When Helping Hurts, How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor and Yourself, they write these words. Shalom is all about relationships, all about relationships. When you have a lack of peace, you have a lack of relationship. Therefore, poverty is fundamentally about broken relationships with God, yourself, others, and the world, and not fundamentally about a lack of something in our lives. See, we've taken this idea of poverty and made it only about physical needs. And is physical needs important to help people in the name of Jesus? Absolutely. God loves poor people. But Jesus says a greater need that people have is relationally with God and with other people. See, to be relationally poor is to have and continue with pain, broken, or lack of deep relational connections. Go back to Matthew 25. When Jesus separates the sheep from the goats, you do realize as you look at that passage, he didn't just talk about the physical needs. He started to get relational in nature. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. It's not just physical needs. He's, he's making a relational case as well. You know, one of my favorite uh, Christmas movies is A Christmas Carol. Ebenezer Scrooge, how many of you guys, that's your favorite one? That's your favorite one? Anybody else with me? Okay, a few of you guys. So Christmas Carol, one of it is, is, is because of Ebenezer Scrooge. Now, when you look at that, you think the whole point of A Christmas Carol is that Ebenezer has forgotten the poor, the physically poor, and that is a point of A Christmas Carol, that we've got to be generous with those who have nothing. But that wasn't Ebenezer's main issue. His issue was he was relationally void. He had set himself up based on the choices that he had made and the circumstances that happened in his life where he was a bitter, lonely broken down man who had much in this world, but who had nothing when it came to relationships. How much more important is that? Don't believe me? In terms of the importance of poverty relationally to God, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says it this way. If I could speak all the language of the, of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secrets and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. Don't miss this. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Nothing. See, here's what I say. We are becoming one of the poorest countries in the world. The reason I know this is because I've been to other countries who have far less and whoever is suffering even with physical poverty, and yet if you go to many of those countries, here's one of the things that you will commonly find, they are relationally rich. Their love and connection for one another is far beyond where we are as an American culture. And so when I look at our culture, we might think we have so much, and you look one step further, yet don't they have something far greater that our country is losing day after day, year after year, as we become more and more disconnected from one another. We're becoming one of the most relationally poor countries of the world. <coughs> Here, let, me, let me make this clear this point. Oh. Orphans 
their primary need is not physical. They, they don't need water and food and clothing and shelter. Oh, oh, it is a need, but that's not their primary need. Here's what you know about those who are orphans, and unfortunately the Nazis actually emphasize this more than anything else. Those who were given all those things, those babies who are given all those things, still died. Why? Because their greater need than their physical needs was a relational connection. I can intimately tell you that my daughter's greatest need is not that we provide food and shelter and water and clothing and medical. Her greatest need is the broken relationships that she has experienced and the healing that she needs to be in a healthy and relational dynamic. Sometimes we look at the issue and we think, well, it's about physical. I'm like, no, 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 no. It actually is much more so about relational, which is why Jesus is emphasizing this for us. See a need, meet a need one person at a time. One way Jesus says this is in John 13. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. How? Just as I have loved you, so you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Wait a minute, I thought love for the poor would prove to the world. No, no, no. Your love for one another will prove to the world how you treat, relate, connect, that you are a follower of me. We're such an impoverished nation when we don't have relationships at the heart of who we are created to be. So as a church, how are we doing this? How do we help the relational poverty in our culture? We always encourage you on a regular basis, come, make weekend services a priority so that you can connect relationally better with God. But we're always encouraging you to go one step further. Be in relationship with others. Take the risks. Understand it's going to be painful. You're going to fail. They're going to fail. There's going to be hurt and pain that's involved. But on the other side, there's going to be incredible joy incredible fulfillment, incredible engagement as you do life with one another with Jesus at the center in the way he intended us to be. Which is why we tell you, rooted groups, men's groups, women's groups, community groups, whatever it may be. Some of you need to go on a mission trip. You need to go overseas. It will ruin you for the ordinary. You'll come back more blessed than any blessing that you provided to those who were in physical need because of what relationally they did to you, what relationally God's going to do to you, and what relationally you're going to do with other people. It's amazing what happens in our lives when we do that. That's why we have orphan care, foster to adopt ministries here. We have a, a child's hope, life song for orphans, safe families. We've got recovery, divorce care, grief share, peer desire, people going through some really hard times relationally. I was telling Molly, you know, who is our counselor on staff, I said, this is all you do all day. You try to help those who are going through relationally challenging, painful times that they have put themselves in or others have done to them and to try to provide healing and hope. And that's what we're supposed to do with one another. Pregnancy. What about that? This is one that's kind of boiled my blood a little bit recently as I've watched the news. Maybe you as well. So as a church, we're coming along Life Services, Grayson House, and Abanon, which is helping people to heal as they have made the decision to have abortion, we want to be on that side to provide healing and wholeness and walk the journey with people. Schools, we're looking at Green Acres Elementary. We were already in Trentwood and Otis trying to connect people to serve. All those things, again, available at the, you know, either uh, Sold Out Cafe, you know, um, or Connecting Point. But personally, what about you? Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. You visit a sick friend that you know in the hospital. That makes a difference in that person's life. It's one of the favorite things around here is, you know, uh, if there's an expectation that I personally come visit you when you're sick, I should just go live in the hospital because all you guys get sick a lot. Let me just tell you that right now. 
Where I find greater joy is when the community group, the friends and the people, they come alongside in relationship because they know you. They're the ones at the hospital before any pastor shows up. That's what it's supposed to look like. Who in your life are you needing to invest in relationally? You, at the end of people's lives, the greatest regret is that they didn't accomplish more. The greatest regret in people's lives is my relationships weren't as good as they should have been. Who in your life do you need to ask forgiveness of? Who in your life do you need to forgive? Who in your work, your school, or your neighborhood do you need to befriend? If you're in high school, if you're in middle school, do you realize how ostracized some people feel as they walk the hallways? And you might have your friends, but they are relationally in isolation and they're walking your hallways. What will you do about it when you see it this week? What about your work environment? The one that nobody wants to talk to? Relational connection. Maybe you're the person who needs a friend which is why we're supposed to be here as a church. See a need, meet a need, one opportunity, one person at a time. Let me tell you one last story that, that uh, exemplifies some of this because it gets to our third level of poverty. Uh, the Pharisees and Jesus were you know, uh, at war, at odds with one another, and Jesus' popularity was growing at incredible height. And he was becoming the miracle worker in town. So much so that in one location where he went, uh, people from all over the place heard that Jesus was coming in, and they went into this person's house, and uh, they just filled the place that, that, that there was no room. They crammed him in, absolutely no room, and yet there's these guys who had a friend, relational connection. And the friend, though, he was paralyzed, and so four of them grabbed him, and they said, we're going to hit you healed, trying to meet his physical need, Right? So they go to the house, can't get into the house because there's no way in. Everybody's trying to get in to see Jesus. So they had a good idea, and I'm glad it was that guy's house and not mine because they climbed up on the roof. And from the roof, they cut a hole in the roof. Imagine us speaking right now, and then here comes Kenny, you know, coming down from the... <laughs> and so he goes right before Jesus. A hush comes over the whole crowd, right? What's Jesus going to do? How is he going to heal him? Because obviously Jesus loves poor people. Obviously Jesus loves those who are suffering, so he must... Be ready to heal this man, and we get to see a miracle. And Jesus looks at them, and he looks at their faith, and he says these words, your sins are forgiven. What? That's not why I came. That's not why we cut a hole in the roof. Sins are forgiven. And there becomes an argument amongst the religious leaders. Well, who can forgive sins but God? And so Jesus says, okay, okay. If you don't believe that I have the power to forgive sins, I'll show you. I'll go ahead and pick up your mat, you know, stand up, walk. So the guy gets up, grabs his mat, starts jumping around. Then the crowds go nuts. This incredible miracle, not realizing the greater miracle is what Jesus said first, not what he did second. And sometimes we miss that because here's the reality of the situation. We can help those who are impoverished. We can relationally come by and walk alongside people who are in relational poverty as well. But all of us eventually will die. And Jesus' offer of forgiveness brings life and meaning and purpose on this side and with him eternally. The greatest poverty that we experience is spiritual poverty. And we'll talk a lot more about that in just a couple weeks. Spiritual poverty is one faith step at a time. A lack of connection with Jesus is the poorest poverty that we can experience in our lives. Luke chapter 5 says this, Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Now, I have come to call not those who think they're righteous but those who are sinners and need to repent luke 19 10 for the son of man came to seek and to save those who were lost 
Jesus didn't heal everybody he came in contact with. That's something that you're going to noodle on for a little while. You'll see times he passed by crowds of people. He didn't heal them because he knew the greatest healing that he was going to be able to provide was the purpose in which he came, which is to bring us back into a right relationship with God, to help us find right relationships with one another, with Jesus at the center, and then to find ways that we could physically help people in need in the name of Jesus. We want to be a church that helps the poor, but you, there is a difference between giving someone clean water versus giving them clean water in the name of Jesus. There's a big difference because the spiritual poverty is the greatest poverty. And if you don't believe me, ask Ronald in Uganda, which is why he, above anybody else that I've ever met in a country that is impoverished to the levels that you and I do not ever or will not ever live in most likely in the rest of our lives, he understands it's not just about giving them land. It's not just about you know, providing clean water because there's going to be opportunities by giving land and clean water to present Jesus, which he understands is the greatest need of all. And as a church, that's who we want to be. A church that meets people's physical needs in the name of Jesus, that comes alongside and helps each other's relational needs in the name of Jesus, and most importantly, we help each other with our spiritual need in the name of Jesus. I guess I would tell you this. I said this my first Sunday that I was here. My greatest desire and hope for our church would be that someday, if one day, this church were not to exist anymore, all of us were going to be gone, that the community, whether they believed in God or not, the community would notice first, and they would grieve because they would say those people were different. Those people lived different lives. They helped, they loved, and they lived for their God. That's who we want to be. So my question as we, as we uh, end is see a need, meet a need, do something to help poverty in this world. What is that something for you? What is the thing that God has already put on your heart as we talk? Maybe it is a physical need in the name of Jesus. Maybe it is a relational need. Maybe it is a spiritual one. I'm going to ask our worship team to come out. And they're going to lead us in a song. But I just want you to remain seated. It's a song that's a little bit older. And I want you to reflect on what God might be leading or calling you to be a part of as they sing. It's fairly well known for those of us who've been in the Christian world for a while. So let me pray as we go into the song. Lord, thank you for today. I pray, Father, that you would now, just by your spirit, bring situations or people in mind that you're calling us to do something. Help us to be about those who are in poverty, physically, relationally, and spiritually. And bring that to mind now. It's just in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.